Good morning. How are we doing, church family? Were you awake? Awesome. If you brought your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look at two verses this morning, verses 6 and 7. It will also be up on the screens, I believe. Yes. If you would stand for the reading of His Word. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. you may be seated. So God, now as we look at Your Word, we pray that You would open our eyes by Your Spirit. For some of us here, God, we've gathered and we have read this passage. We've read your word each day. We've meditated on it day and night as you encourage us to. And yet, God, we still need fresh illumination. We still need to be taught by you, God. But whether, God, this is one of our first times in carrying your word, God, help us to hear clearly from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. I have to say it's a rhetorical question because at uh, my church, Drexel Hill, if I don't say it's rhetorical, I'll get answers back. So this is a rhetorical question for you. Why do you pray? Why do you pray? I'm sure if I were to take a poll this morning of all those answers, we'd probably have a number of them. Um, Let me name a couple. One might be that we would use the phrase prayer works. And what we mean by that is that that God works through our prayers. He works through our conversations with him. As a testimony we heard this morning, which was awesome, thank you, that God actually hears our prayers, he responds to our prayers. Therefore, we pray because God answers. That might be one way we could answer that question. That might be one motivation for us. We might have another motivation. It might be that we would say because the Bible says we should. So we do that, which is also another good motivator. Scripture reminds us time and time again that we are to pray, we are to seek God, we are to follow hard after Him, we are to listen to His voice. It could be because you were always raised to pray. Maybe you grew up in a home that always prayed. Your family always prayed before meals, something that you always did. You, you came to church, it's something that we do. We come and we pray. might just say very simply, it's a good thing to do. Maybe there's some benefits for us. We've experienced that when we have gone to God in prayer. We have been blessed in some way, but we know in our hearts it's good to do. This morning, I want to point out a very simple truth about why we should pray. And it's one that I think it's very easy for us to gloss over. And the longer that we walk with the Lord, the longer that we're in the church, it's one of those very simple things that I think we miss. It's found in verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5. God cares for you. God cares for you. That is why we pray. We pray out of that primarily. Because think about it another way. If we were to just offer up some thoughts to God, offer up some words to God, and He didn't care at all for us, what would be the point? 
right? We would just essentially be having a conversation with ourselves. We would say that God is distant. He is, he is up and he is far away. And we're just hoping, we're hoping that he might hear us in some way. But we're not really sure he actually cares about what we're going through. In the words of Peter, we hear that he cares for us. This is a motivator for why we pray. Because the reality is, if we were going to ask why we pray, there's all kinds of obstacles as to why we wouldn't pray. And maybe you've wrestled with this in your own spirit at times. Uh, like what it says in Romans, it says that the, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness because we do not know how to pray. It's not about you, but sometimes, and there's been situations where I've gone before God and be like, God, I don't even know what to ask for. I don't even know what to say in that space, God. And we're grateful that the Holy Spirit working will aid us in how we pray. He'll make good those prayers, that place we have with God. But that might be an obstacle for us. We're not even sure how to engage God. Or maybe you're sitting there saying, you know, I know the scripture that, that uh, comes to mind when I think about prayers, that, that Jesus said that the Father already knows what we ask, what we're going to ask. He, he knows everything about us, so why would we in fact pray? Doesn't he know that I'm struggling? Doesn't he know that I'm having a hard time? Doesn't he know what's happening in our world? Why would we pray if he already knows? Or maybe it's the, the bigger question is, I don't even know what to ask for because I'm not sure what God wants to do. God's able to do whatever he wants, but when I go to him in prayer, what do I even ask for? Do I know what God wants me to ask for in that space? These are all good things to wrestle with, church, but this passage brings us back to the simple truth that God cares for us. That's why we are to pray. So if you go back to the text in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 begins with, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. What I want you to see this morning is that one of the great evidences that we are, in fact, a humble people is that we pray. It's a great evidence that, that we are, in fact, humble, that, that in order for us to engage God in conversation, there has to be this change of posture towards God. Because by nature, we don't come to God humble. Can I get an amen? We don't come to God from this place of saying, God, you are God and we're not. Let's be honest, when we come to God, and there's been different points in our life, we come to God saying, God, I know what's going on. Or we don't even pray because we decide that we know what's already best, God. So we're going to go forward in this course of action, even though, God, I probably should consult you. And when those things happen, church, if we're honest, what we do is that we come back and we say, okay, God, now I want you to bless my decision-making. God, now this is not working out well. Now I need you, right? So the, the posture we have to have is that we are to humble ourselves. And just a word about humility but just want to camp out there. We talk about humility. We're talking about to make ourselves low. And it's interesting that in this passage, in verse 6, it says that under the mighty hand of God. So if you think about this image, you think about God's hand being over his people, and we're to come under God's authority. We're to come under God's rule, his reign. That's what we're doing in prayer. But we must humble ourselves. And when we talk about humbling ourselves, church, what we're not talking about is despising ourselves or thinking less of us then we should. This is very important because oftentimes that's what we think humility is. We think humility should be like self-pity, which, by the way, is just an ugly cousin of pride. Self-pity is all about me. I know when I'm struggling with self-pity, it's about Brandon, 
It's about, woe is me, how I feel. That's not humility. That's just a subtle form of pride. We talk about humility, what we're talking about, church. We're talking about seeing ourselves as God sees us. This is a really important definition. Seeing ourselves as God sees us. So like if we were to figuratively stand before a mirror, how we view ourselves, we want to have the same view of ourselves that God has of us. And the reason why this is important is because that's how God sees us. So when he invites us to humble ourselves, the invitation is to see ourselves the way God sees us. In other words, for us to take a place and posture that reflects what God would see in us. And so you might be sitting there saying, well, what does that look like? That's a great thought. What does it look like to see God, see myself as God sees me? And so there's two realities here. And depending on uh, where you're at in your journey of faith, you might, uh, you know, pendulum between the two. One is the sense of brokenness we have before God because of our sin, because of our unfaithfulness to the Lord. We feel that, right? That's a very humbling thing, right? When you're before the Lord and you're wrestling with that, um, that, that's a reality that's true. We are broken people. So when we go before God, we have to recognize we're not coming having it all together. We're not coming with the most wisdom. We're not coming with the most knowledge. We're coming from a place of saying, God, I am broken and I'm in need of you. On the flip side of things, while we're broken, we're also redeemed by the precious, precious blood of Christ. So when we stand before God in prayer, we're standing in the righteousness of Christ. Which means when we're standing before him, we're standing as one who's been washed, has been cleaned, has been reconciled, been made right to God. And we are not standing before him as just someone who's forgiven, but someone who has all the rights and benefits as someone who's a child, as a son, as a daughter. We're standing before God having a rightful place because of Christ to even make prayer, to even make requests. That's humility. There's nothing prideful about staying before God as a son or daughter and pleading with him from that place of authority. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's part of humility. It reminds me of a story you may be familiar from, a story that Jesus taught out of uh, Luke chapter 18. And he tells this parable to a group of people, and, and um, it's this parable of the Pharisee and tax collector. I'll read it for you. It's Luke 18. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. So just so you know, in the minds of the people that were hearing this story, this parable, they would have already thought that the Pharisee was the one who was in the right because he's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He knows things about God. He practices what appears to be the right things. So therefore, he must be right versus the tax collector who would have been despised, someone who wouldn't have had a place in society that would have been um, well thought of, someone who may have even been hated. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, I want you to listen to his words, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breath, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Great picture of what humility is and what it's not. The Pharisee stands before God in prayer and says, essentially, thank you, God, for making me. I do everything right. 
I'm not an unlawful person. I, I follow the law. I do good things. I serve. God, thank you for making me. I'm a gift to you in a very arrogant way. Versus the tax collector, who won't even lift his eyes to heaven, who says, be merciful to me. Have mercy on me. Two very different postures towards God. And here's what Jesus has to say about these two people. He says, I tell you, this man, referring to the tax collector, went down to his house justified or made right with God rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That should ring a bell from the language from 1 Peter 5. This idea that when we come before God in prayer, we have to recognize that we must be humble because God is almighty. He's actually the one who has authority and power. And if we're not humbling ourselves before God, he will, in fact, humble us. Important, important fact here. But he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. I'm not going to camp out a lot in that verse, but just hear that this is speaking of God's timing. And God's timing is always best. So when we humble ourselves, we entrust ourselves to God and allow him to actually exalt us or raise us up rather than pride, which is that I'm going to exalt myself. I'm going to think much of myself. And verse 7 gives the, the clarification on what it looks like to humble ourselves. Verse 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Casting all of your anxieties on him. What is an anxiety? I, put it simply, anything that would pull you in different directions. Anything that would be a burden, a care, anything that weighs on you could be an anxiety. And notice here he says that, that we are to cast all of your anxieties. <clears throat> all is a nice word, which means each, every, all types. So the invitation here from uh, God's word is that when we come before God in prayer and knowing that he cares for us, we can bring anything before him. As trivial as it might seem or as major as it may be, we can bring that before God. I don't know if you've ever struggled with that. You're dealing with a situation in your life and you're wondering like, can I really pray about this? This seems like it's not that big of a deal. But it's bothering you. Or, you know what, God doesn't have time for these little matters in my life. I'm just only going to go to God when my life is collapsing. The invitation from God's word, church, is that we bring everything before him. Small, large, what appears to be insignificant, what is significant. Because the reality is, if, if you haven't experienced this life in your, in your own journey with the Lord, the insignificant things will become significant at some point. Did you hear what I said? The insignificant things will become significant at some point. So if you're carrying those things, the invitation here is to cast them on him. And so the, the image here is to literally think about casting, like dumping on, on God. Just throwing it on his shoulders, Right? And what that looks like for us, church, is that we don't dump it on God and then quickly take it back. No one's going to say amen to that. What I'm talking about here is when we are struggling with something, it's not that we just give it to him and we say, God, I gave it to you, and then we pick it back up and go on with the rest of our life. No. We're talking about this interchange between us and God where we are constantly pushing the burdens of life, the struggles we have, onto the one who can handle it. Because if you didn't remember from the earlier verse, it's the mighty hand of God. He's all-powerful, so he can handle any situation. There's nothing that's too big for God to handle. 
don't know about you, but there's plenty of situations in my life that's way too big for me, way out of my hands, and you know what they are in your own life. We can barely figure out how to do relationships, right? Let's be honest here. That's, that's a, a sore spot for a lot of us, how to engage relationships in healthy ways. God can handle that, let alone the major things if we're going to talk about what's happening around our world. God's shoulders are big enough to handle that. He is all-powerful. Because he cares for you. That's our motivation. Because he cares for you. Which sounds like such a simple thing. But I want you to understand that the God we're talking about here is the God who stretched the heavens and the earth. The God who spoke things into existence, the God who's been ruling and reigning since the beginning of time, who exists outside of time, but enters in time to deal with us, to, to, to handle things within his created order. God steps into time, and most significantly, he stepped into time in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the God we're talking about who cares for us. If you think of the, uh, uh, the psalm, I don't know if this ever came to mind as we were Uh, going through this text, but this scripture continues to be on my mind. This is from Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place. So David's saying, like, when when I survey all of your creative work, the beauty, the magnitude, the power when I, when I survey the work of your hands, God, this is what he says in verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? In other words, why does the God who is all-powerful, sovereign ruler of all creation, why does he care for me? Why does he care for you? This is a question David's answering, and this is the question that I think is directly pulled into First Peter 5. He cares for me? Doesn't God have other things to do besides caring for me? Doesn't he have like hundreds of thousands of people that he's caring for? Yes. And he cares for you. He has regard for you. He thinks of you. Here's the thing that's always strange to me about prayer. I don't know if you've experienced this. But when I go to God before in prayer, when I'm speaking with my father, it's not like I'm telling him anything new. Right? Like when I, when I pray and I'm inviting him into a situation, not that he's already there, but inviting him in and saying, God, I'm looking for your help. I'm not sure how to handle this. God, here's something I'm wrestling with. God, I don't know what to do. It's not like anything I'm telling him is, is not something he's already aware of, right? It's not like I'm sitting before God and he's like, Brandon, I'm so thankful you told me about that. Thank you. I was not aware. Right? So when we go before God in prayer, the, the, the reason why we're praying is not so we can inform God of what actually is happening. He's seeing everything crystal clear. And not just in the moment in which we're praying, he's seeing what has happened clearly, and he's seeing what's going to happen going forward. So we're not going to prayer to inform him of what's going on. So what are we doing in prayer then? We are going before God to share our life with him. That's what we're doing in prayer. We're trying to live every moment acknowledging the one who made us, acknowledging the one who saved us. We're trying to live in every moment and every nook and cranny of our life saying, God, I want you present with me 
in this space. Because we're not telling them anything new. And yet, God is listening to us anyway. Even when we only have parts of the picture, even when we can't control ourselves in terms of what we want to say and not say, the image I want you to think about when it comes to casting your cares upon the Lord or casting our anxieties is to think of him in a way that a parent would rightfully deal with a child who is struggling with something in life. Whether they're talking about my three-year-old daughter who's having a hard time sharing with her sister and she's upset about that, right? Or you're talking about someone who's much older. And a parent who would lovingly be present in that space to process that with them. To hear what's actually upsetting them. Even though, like most good parents, right, we, we usually know what's going on. It's not like it's a surprise, right? We're usually aware of the situation to some degree. But we're just present in that space with them. To comfort them, to walk with them, to encourage them, to counsel them. I want you to think about it in that light. Because if we were to think about God and truly see him as a father in which we're loved and accepted and we're cared for, right? If that's how we were going to view ourselves through the eyes of God, then couldn't we just go to God with anything in any state of mind that we're in? So what I'm thinking about this is that when we go before God, we don't have to say the right things, right? We don't have to come up with spiritual language to make it sound nice and pretty for God to hear, right? No one's amening that, but you know what I'm talking about. We're really upset about something, and we're saying, God, but your will be done. Inside, we are torn up. We are just barely hanging on by a thread, and yet what we're saying to God verbally is something that's completely disconnected with where we're actually at. No, when we go before God from that posture of being a son or daughter, we should just be able to come with all the mess, hysterically crying, brokenhearted, overwhelmed, stretched out, angry, any of those things. Because if you didn't hear earlier, I said that God is almighty, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, so there's nothing we're bringing before God that he's surprised about or that he's going to be somehow offended that we're upset about something. He is already watching that and seeing that and present with us in that space already. So by the time we get to praying to him, we don't need to clean ourselves up in that space and say, okay, now God, I'm ready to have a conversation with you. We can go before God and just lay it out as it is, as we are. Because he already sees it anyway. This is what I love about the Psalms. Have you ever read through the Psalms and you're like, are they all over the place or is it just me? You read through the Psalms, it's this great invitation of that, of to be real with God, to let our faith be so real and so tangible with God that we just talk to God like we talk to our best friend. Right? You have those people in your life or your spouse where we just come with all of our mess and we're like, I just want someone to hear me. And those are the people that will just be present with us. How much more will God, who's been patient for thousands and thousands of years, how much more for God who's without sin and perfectly good? But to bring all that before him is what I believe the scriptures constantly invite us to do. And the Psalms are a great example of that. They're all over the place. One moment we're praising God. God, I'm so thankful for your presence. The next psalm is, God, where are you? Right? Strike down my enemies. Right? You're wondering, is this really prayer? Is this really happening? Yes, this is real life with God. It is nitty. It is gritty. It is raw. But because we are sons and daughters 
through Jesus Christ, we can just be ourselves. How many of us, when we um, go to pray, if you do your morning devotions or however you use that space, how many of us dress up like we're going to church for that time? Right? How many of us, when we're about to pray before a meal, put our best clothes on? Why not? If we're, if we're so concerned about cleaning ourselves up before God. But we're not. It's funny. We have different space for that. There's certain times where we feel like we need to do that. Other times we're not. Think about just being in your pajamas with God. He's already there, right? Think about on your commute to work. He's there. He's with you in that space, right? I mean, it's, it's the most beautiful thing about our relationship with God is that God doesn't say to us, here are the times that you're supposed to engage me. I want you to do it at this hour, this hour, this hour. Or you made way too many requests yesterday. You need to wait until the end of the week. Or, you know what? That's really great that you're struggling with that, but I'm too busy handling other stuff right now. Come back in a couple hours. We never have that problem. Does anybody have that problem? Okay. I just want to make sure I wasn't the only one that's not experienced. That, those problems don't exist in the Christian faith because we can come to God authentically, truly, and as we are. It doesn't mean that we come to God in that raw state that God's going to leave us there because God loves us. He's going to shape us and mold us, comfort us, discipline us, correct us, lead us through that season or situation. But church, we should just be able to come. We should just be able to come. What I want you to also hear in this passage is that the reason for why we're we're casting all of our anxieties on him is not because he'll do whatever we ask him to do or that he'll fix every broken situation we're in. That's not a promise you see here. There's no promise that after we pray that everything's going to be rosy and peachy and there's going to be nothing going on that's a struggle. There's no promise of that there. Some of you say, well, I would never expect that. Really? But don't we expect that when we cast our cares on God? God, if you'd only take this situation from me. God, if you'd only change this person. God, if you'd only make a way for me to have this. There's an expectation there. But in this passage, the reason for why we come to him is because he cares for us. So this is the way God cares for us. He does answer prayer. And we're thankful for that. Amen? He does answer prayer. So when we do cast our cares on him, are there times where God will just totally show up and change the situation? Absolutely. And we should totally be in that space when we're praying is expecting God to show up in some awesome way. That should be our expectation as kids before our father, that our dad can do anything. But it doesn't mean he's going to. It may happen later. It may never happen. But because he cares for us, he's going to be present in that situation with us. He's going to walk with us. He's going to comfort us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to refine us. He's going to take care of us in that situation. Because he cares for us. He, he's going to do that. And a lot of this language that we're talking about prayer and all kinds of stuff comes down to simple trust. I wish it was more complicated than that, but it's really not. Do we really trust our Father to handle what we deal with in life? I think what the world is dying to see from us as the people of God is people that are crazy in love with the Creator who also are in a trust relationship with him, will they just bring everything to him? 
where there's no parts of their life that are sealed or off limits, where they can just be totally transparent and authentic with their God. I think the world wants to see that. I mean, you think about it. Do you think people really want to believe that this life is meaningless and there's no one that cares for them? That the vein of their existence is, is just to push through this life? Do you really think people want that? These hopeless situations that we often find ourselves, those people that are around us that don't know Christ? Don't they want to know and see in us that there is a God who actually cares for them and is actually willing to walk with them? Don't they want to see that in us? Not that we have it all together. This is not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about in the mess of life, being able to say that when they look at us and say, I don't know how you got through that situation, we can say, I have a dad in heaven who's been taking care of me all through this whole thing. They can look at us and say, I don't know how you had the resolve. Like it wasn't me, it was Christ in me. Because he cares for me. One other scripture to leave you with. This is from Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So again, this is not, we're not praying to a God who sits in an ivory tower and looks down and says, I have no idea what you're going through. I've never experienced that. I don't know what it's like to deal with this life. We're talking to a God who has walked in our shoes, who understands and yet was without sin. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The encouragement there is that we should be bold in coming before God. Not because we're perfect, not because we have it together, not because we have the answers, not because we've done everything right, but we are to come boldly because we have a high priest in Jesus who has walked in our shoes, who has understands what we're dealing with and has walked in such a way that he has honored the Father. And not only that, this high priest wasn't just a high priest that made an offering and walked away. He offered himself so that any of the mess in our life, and by the way, the mess isn't just mess we inherit, by the way. It's also mess we create. No one's going to say amen to that either. That that same high priest has already made a way for us to take that mess and let it be forgiven by God, the Father. He has offered himself in such a way that no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter what we saw thought that there is precious blood that has already been shed for all those things. That's why we should come boldly. Because what is there honestly holding us back? I mean, think about it. When I asked the question when I first got up here was, why do you pray? Maybe the question to leave you with is, what holds you back from even praying? What holds you back from sharing every aspect of your life with the Father? What honestly holds you back. It can't be time or space, right? Because I can pray to God in my car to work. I don't close my eyes, of course, but I can do that. Not close my eyes, but I can pray, right? It's not because there's a rigid system for how I'm supposed to engage God. And it's like, you know what? God, I'm really busy. I don't know how to do that with my job. That's not the issue. 
It's not that we're required to clean ourselves up before God. That's not the issue. So what is it in us that is, is timid about that? And what I'm convinced, I'm speaking to myself as well as to you, is that we forget the character and nature of God. We remember that he's all-powerful. We remember that he's all-wise, that he's all-knowing. We remember all those things. But the thing that we forget so often is that he's all-caring. That he cares for us. That's why we're hesitant to pray. We're not really sure how much or to what level he actually cares for us. So I want to pray into that space this morning. And um, if, if you're here this morning, and I, I didn't say this earlier, if you're here this morning and you're carrying stuff, please don't leave here without giving those, those cares to God. I mean, it'd be really silly for us to spend this time talking about prayer and that for us to then show up, do that, and then leave. But because God's here now, and you can do that right now, we can do that together right now. So let's pray. God, sometimes I wonder, not that you laugh at us, God, but you look at us and you're like, why don't you just come to me? You look at us and you're like, I'm pleading with you, just come and be with me. I know you're worried about what you've done. I know you're stressing out. You're not sure where to go. Just come and be with me. I don't know how you do it, God. I don't know how you look at all of us, and not just all of us here, but all over the world, and you see everything that we're entangled in, everything, God, we're wrestling with, and yet you keep this open hand towards us, and you say, just come. Come be with me. Come share with me what you're going through. God, I don't know how you do it, but God, we are so thankful that you do. We're so thankful, God that we can come before you freely. And the thing, God, that we need to remember, the thing, God, we need you to continue to teach us is the depth of how much you actually care for us. We need you to teach us that. And we can go through all the examples through Scripture, God. We can go through way back in Genesis and say, you know, we know that God cared for us when he set up this world so that we can inhabit it that we have enough oxygen and that the sun rises and that the earth doesn't fall off its axis. All those things, God. We can, we can point to those things, God. We can look through how you've uh, just engaged your people all through the centuries and how, God, you've continued to pursue them. God, you have continued to go after them, which hasn't changed at all, by the way, today. We can think about, God, how you came and you took on human flesh and that you lived among us, God, and, and how you bore the weight of of our sins on the cross, how you shed your blood and your body was broken, God, so that we could be made right, that we could be cleansed, we could be righteous. We could think about how your Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. So we, we have this constant companion and friend, this comforter, this advocate, this teacher that's not outside of us, but that's in us, God. We can think through all these ways, but beyond all these objective things, God, we can point to, these truths that we can be reminded of in your word, what we need to feel and experience is the level of your care for us. We need to know again how much you love us, God. 
beyond just something we can comprehend with our minds. We need to know it deeply in the recesses of our our spirit, God. We need to know that. And so, God, this morning we offer just our praise and our adoration to you. You are unlike any God that's ever been. And when I say that, God, you're the only one true God. There's been all kinds of little G gods that have been figments of imaginations or have been demons that have been masquerading as gods that people have worshipped. But you alone, God, are the one true God. But when we survey all the gods that people pursue, that people love, that people worship, there is no God that is remotely in the same category as you. God, you are alone. You stand alone as this amazing, beautiful, loving, kind, righteous God. And your ways are so different than ours. They are so different. Your your thoughts are so much higher than ours, God. We are thankful. We are so thankful that you don't treat us the way we treat other people. You don't make demands of us like we make inappropriate demands of other people. God, you make appropriate, right, and good demands and expectations of us. And as followers of Christ, as believers, God, all you're doing is asking us to lay it all down before you. When you walk this earth, what you said is to the group of people, as you said, you'll come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That invitation, God, we are so thankful, stands firm today. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. There is none like you. God, as we transition from this space that we call worship service. God, let our worship of you, let let our prayers, let our conversations with you, God, continue and to continue to spill out, not just into today, but in the days, the weeks ahead, God. And let them spill out in such a way that the way in which we engage you would be super consistent with your word. That we would just be constantly casting our cares. That, God, we wouldn't need to come to the end of our own strength before we pray. We wouldn't have to wait for a situation to completely implode or fall apart before we begin to communicate with you. That, God, we wouldn't act as if we have it together. Thinking about that hymn, God, I need thee every hour. God, that is so true. We need you every single hour. Whether we acknowledge that or not, God, we need you every single minute. The fact that our hearts are beating now, the fact that there's oxygen flowing in and out of our lungs, the fact that the world is still continuing on is is all gifts of grace from you because we still need you. And that doesn't even count all the other stuff we deal with, God. That's just basic stuff. But God, we confess that together, that we need you and that God, that we know that you care for us. And we're thankful you care for us. We bless your holy name. Amen.